promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. Don't regret this, Lord. I'm a wonderful person. to you that the Lord himself will build a house for you. When your time comes to be with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant, who is one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will not remove my faithful love from him as I removed it from the one who was before you. I will appoint him over my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne will be established forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is First Chronicles chapter 17. And the crazy thing about reading First Chronicles after having gone through all of the kings is that, you know, we've kind of skipped over a bunch. We, we skipped over the part in, in which uh, the... Israelites were finally completely exiled out of out of the promised land uh, because we we looked at at Ezekiel last week, uh, one of my favorite texts, and and we discover that it didn't go well for them. Right, they end up in Babylon, and then Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, are books that are written basically post-exile. They're they're written to sort of remind the people of God, that they are the people of God. And so it opens up with this whole history of people and descendants and all these things because connection to family was an important thing. And it is an important thing for us, right? This this connection to family. We even see it in the church. Uh, regardless of what kind of Lutheran you are, you, you often can... Those of you who grew up in the Lutheran Church, anyways, I did not. Uh, I grew up in the Nazarene Church, uh, which those are just Methodists who the Methodists weren't Methodist enough. But and and I'm thankful for all that, Dad. I know you're watching. Thankful for all of it. Um, but those who grow up in the Lutheran Church tend to be able to trace back their lineage, not so much as being Lutheran, not so much as being Christian, not so much as being born again or or redeemed or anything like that. It's Norwegian, Swedish, Danish, German, whatever. That that a lot of our Lutheran culture is tied to to a a physical lineage that we were born into. So being one who's converted to Lutheranism out of another uh, branch of Christianity causes uh, me to be able to see things with a different eye and 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 be able to ask some of these questions, uh, which, uh, you know, for instance, well, why do we have Ludafisk and Lefsa at, at Christmas time? And it was like, <gasps> you're saying we shouldn't? I'm like, no, I'm just wanting to know why. I didn't grow up with it. I have no idea. I don't take it for granted that it's just going to be there. I, I'm thankful when it's Lefsa Baking Day, uh, because as a pastor, I get to go in and take care of the rejects. Uh, but 
these these things like Ludafisk and Lefsa, they're not a normal thing for me. They, they were not things that I grew up with, although I grew up with tortillas and Lefsa, kind of like tortillas, except better. Um, I've never made tacos with Lefsa, though, so that, that might be a new thing for this year. But these things that become cultural, that we hold on to just because of culture. And here in, in Chronicles, in part, there's this section that's dealing with who is truly part of the people of God. And, and so this question of lineage. Chronicles is very much tied to Ezra and Nehemiah, where, where being uh, part of the people of God through lineage, through birth, having the blood, was very important. It's part of the reason why when Paul later on talks about, talks about don't get caught up in all these genealogies and all this stuff when he's talking to Timothy, that's important for us too in the sense of we should not be saying, well, I'm Lutheran because grandma was, or I'm Christian because my parents were. No, it, it should be about who Christ is, right? And, and so here in Chronicles, you have this, this whole long section dealing with descendants and and um, and and where the the life of Israel has has gone, uh, especially coming into the exile, and then finally when you get to chapter ten is when you start to get a rehashing of the history. So it talks about Saul, and then talking about David and his victories, and and the size of his army, and bringing the ark to to Jerusalem, and a psalm of thanksgiving over over the fact that the ark was there now, and the temple was going to be built by his son. And then we get here to chapter seventeen, and again it's another place in which. I think God was working. God was working to be able to rehash for the people of Israel his promise. His promise that comes through David that there will be a king that is going to come. And this king is going to do some important things. Because when you read this and you understand the history, this is being written post-exile. This is being written in which... uh, Yes, there is a sense that that as we get a rehash of the the um, life of Solomon, this this sense that uh, Solomon was the uh, culmination of this promise to David. That uh, here, when we read. Uh, that the Lord himself will build a house for you when your time comes to be with your fathers. I will raise up after you your descendant, who is one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. Okay, and so our first thought is to go to Solomon because he builds the temple, right? He builds a house for God and that he has a flourishing kingdom and all this stuff, but then it doesn't go so well, right? Because right after Solomon, there's the split in the nation of Israel, the northern tribe and the southern tribe, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. And then this is after the exile, where there is no king over Israel. There is no king over Judah. There are no kings in place. They go back to Jerusalem, which, if I remember correctly at this time, it was under the control of the Persians and the Medes. And, and eventually is going to be under the control of the Greeks and then the Romans and so on and so forth. This whole torrid history. And this promise is written, rewritten, re-spoken into our ears in which we have to assume either one, 
God was lying because he says he's going to establish his throne forever, and Solomon's throne came to an end. Or God's promise is a promise that is waiting to be fulfilled after Chronicles. And that is where we find ourselves, Christian. That is where we find ourselves when we read this. We have to read this through the lens of Jesus. When your time comes to be with your father, speaking to David, I will raise up after you your descendant who is one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. What is, what is Christ called? Son of David. What is his first sermon that comes in Mark chapter 1, verse 15? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Here comes this kingdom and this king. He is the one who will build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. Christ becoming the temple. Tear down this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. He says in John. He says, I will be his father and he will be my son. God says to David, Jesus, son of God, I will not remove my faithful love from him as I removed it from the one who was before you. I will appoint him over my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne will be established forever. God's faithful love residing on Christ, that it might be poured out to us. Even on the cross, God's faithful love was there. His faithful love being in the fact that he, Jesus Christ, is the embodiment of God in the world. God with skin on. God's sermon with flesh and bone. God's sermon con carne. God's faithful love was there because it was God giving of himself to you and being nailed to that cross for your sake. And it was that it was his will being worked out in that way as we talked about yesterday, that it is his will to bring you to faith, steadfastness in the word, that you might hold fast to him That is God's good and gracious will. Let us pray. O God, whose will is done without our prayer, we pray that it may be done also by us to this end, frustrate and bring to nothing every evil counsel and purpose, such as the will of the devil, the world, and our own flesh, which would hinder the hallowing of your name and prevent the coming of your kingdom. Strengthen and keep us steadfast in your word and in faith even unto the end. Let this, your good and gracious will, be done. Amen. Well, church, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Tomorrow we'll have our song.